Hi, good day, and welcome to the Feedback Tips Podcast, a show about the latest tips, techniques, and examples of how to give and receive feedback that is relevant and useful. In the show, we'll be talking to some industry experts to give us some advice and insights around the subject of feedback. Today, I'll be talking to Kathy and Kirsten from the Institute of Curiosity. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Kathy Tabernau and Kirsten Siggins are a mother-daughter executive coaching team with a focus on this concept of curiosity. So tell me, what is this curiosity approach? It's really on curious conversations. That's what we do because we've learned that most people think they're curious in life, okay. but where they're not curious is in a conversation. And when you're not curious in a conversation, you judge and you blame and you shame and you get stuck in this, I'm right, you're wrong headspace, mm-hmm. all without even knowing you're doing it. And then all of that leads to conflict. Okay. And so for us, we created a model on how to be curious in conversations, which is really about being present to listen. So you can absorb what the speaker is saying, mm-hmm. choosing how to listen without judgment, which is incredibly important in terms of feedback. And then asking those open, curious questions to better understand the other person. so powerful, especially in conflict. Mm -hmm. So in conflict, if you can remain curious and open to the other person and keep asking questions, it allows you to stay, you know, it doesn't, it allows you to stay focused and doesn't have, your emotional buttons don't get pushed. So you don't say something you regret where you either flip out and say, you know, become angry or retreat into silence and then you get that misunderstanding, right? Either way, you, it's, it's fracturing a relationship. Yeah, right. It's too much conflict. So if you can stay curious in those conflictual conversations, it helps you build, it helps you understand and build deeper relationships with these people to better understand them. This is actually a really, really interesting approach because from our experience, I feel like employees aren't receiving anything that is actually beneficial to them in the workplace. I mean... If you look at the annual performance review, managers simply will only remember something from two weeks back, which really gives a skewed approach to the whole feedback process. Um, Employees then are left frustrated as they seem that they won't be getting anything out of the position and they seem to think that they're just doing the same thing day in and day out, simply waiting for a paycheck. From what we've seen is that the whole mindset is changing in terms of employees actually wanting more. Over the past 10 years, from your perspective, has, have you seen a change in that in the mindset? So there's, I think that there's beginning to be an understanding that feedback is not criticism, it's just someone else's perspective. Mm-hmm. So that, um, and the benefit of, of having that other perspective is that you can begin to understand how other people see you. And how other people see you is if it's not a way that's connecting with how you want to be seen, then it gives you an opportunity to broaden mm-hmm. how you show up for others so that um, there's a greater alignment. So if you're a leader, you're able to support them more, whatever. And, and that's one thing. Another thing is that I think feedback, bringing um, the curiosity piece into it in the actual conversation where people are beginning to understand the different perspectives, it then um, get, provides an opportunity for reflection. And with reflection comes learning. And feedback in isolation without learning, I don't see that there's any point in it. Because if you're not going to learn from it, what's the point of someone... If people just hear, I'm not good enough in whatever it is, mm-hmm. then they're not going to do anything about it. Whereas if they begin to understand that it's someone else's perspective, 
then they um, and they can understand that it's just you know we all have different perspectives. I'm hearing one of the six billion perspectives about me out there. Yeah, I begin to appreciate more of what I'm about and how I'm seen by others, and then I can change how I show up because of that. Here, a, a great example about perspectives, and it's not really about feedback, but um, I was coaching someone a few years ago. And she was really upset, a, a team leader, because um, she got her team pizza every Friday. Mm -hmm. And they weren't grateful. And it really annoyed her because, you know, she's being kind to them. She's saying thank you by giving them pizza. So what's the problem? So we started talking about it, and I said, so how do you know that's what they want? Well, everybody likes pizza. <laughs> so well, that's what your team wants. Well, someone was on a diet, someone else, you know, gluten-free, yeah. whatever. So it turned out that only, and they all felt they had to eat the pizza because she was giving it to them. Yeah. And they didn't want to hurt her feelings, but their perspectives, that was not what was going to reward them. So, you know, one might want to be acknowledged, one might want more feedback, one might whatever. And, and once she understood their different perspectives, she was better able to acknowledge them in a way that made sense to them. Now, that's not about feedback, but it's just... It does show the different different perspectives yeah. we have in any situation, and that when we make an assumption that everyone has the same perspective we do, that it's erroneous. It's not going to get us anywhere. So with feedback, if we can look at it as, as a way of learning more perspectives about how people see us, then it provides us with that opportunity to learn and show up in, in a way that helps people more. So how do you go about changing people's perspective? Everyone has the same perspective that we do, and no one has exactly the same perspective. Yeah. And once you start testing assumptions, you learn that. So if we can just be open to, wow, she sees me differently than I do, and it's not right or wrong, it's just different, then I can be able to show up, I can show up slightly differently with that person. Yeah. And it's the same when you're, you know, if, if I ask, if Kirsten and I are going to a meeting, and it's a marketing meeting, let's say, and I say, I'd really like feedback from you on how I do our presentation, and I want it specifically around um, how often I use my hands, or how, I'm, uh, how others seem to be receiving me, or whatever it is, I'm learning her perspective on how I'm showing up. So the more specific I can be with my request for feedback, the more specific will be my reflection and learning from that so that I can, so if I know how I want to show up, I can ask questions around that, get that feedback, reflect on it, learn, so the next time I'll show up more the way I want to. Okay. And that's, that's okay. Um, and Kristen, I was reading a little blurb about the power of curiosity and there was a part where you spoke about your son always going to the ear, ear nose and throat specialist and you couldn't understand what was going on and you're just getting absolutely frustrated with, with what the doctors were saying to you because they couldn't give you any sort of indication of what was wrong with your son. Um, from a, like a power perspective now, a doctor supposedly has quite a lot of knowledge or, or you know, years of experience. How does that differ in terms of you know, trying to get them to open up and, and understand your perspective? Well, it's interesting. We talk a lot about that and that it's interesting because in that particular situation, and I find it happens a lot, um, doctors, I guess the easiest way I can explain it, I feel like when you get in a medical situation, and this is not just doctors, but we'll use them as an example because of that, they get in these single stories, yeah. right? It's their profession, it's what they know, it's their knowledge. And so what was happening is, is that each time my son would get sick, in that 
particular moment and story, it made sense. So for them, it was like, everything's fine, everything's fine, because in this story, it makes sense. But if you take all of those stories, if you go to a bigger perspective of what's happening, nothing made sense. However, nobody was doing that, except for me standing back saying, you know, why does this keep happening? And if you put all these pieces together and you tell this different story, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And it's hard in those moments to have doctors look at a bigger story because they were so focused on that one thing that was happening. When you can get curious and you can ask those questions, and that's what ended up happening with this ENT, where I just literally was like, this isn't good enough, and how come this isn't making sense? And for him to say to me, you're right, we have to keep asking the questions, and we have to keep getting different perspectives, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what we did, and we helped get to that, that place. You know, it you, it allowed me. It it was empowering. It was like you felt like you were you were getting somewhere, even though they weren't doing any particular yeah. thing. It was okay. We just have to keep asking questions in the medical profession, and we've talked a lot about this. It's how do you get past that single story? Yeah. How do you ask those questions outside of your comfort zone to better understand the perspective of the patient? Right mm -hmm. to to figure out that maybe it's something else that's going on, but as Patients, we feel we trust our doctors and sometimes we're afraid to ask those questions. And so we take everything that they tell us and that doesn't necessarily solve our problem. So how do you create a relationship with them that allows you to go beyond the single story to help answer these questions and understand the perspective? And we feel the only way you can do that is through curiosity. And that's what I did and it was really helpful. Okay. And how do you relate that to managers and the employee relationship? Well, the concept, I guess, is the same. It's the, you know, getting out of the single story. We do it as parents. We do it as leaders. We do it as managers. We do it as whatever, where we look at somebody and what we think they're capable of doing or what we know, you yeah. know, in that context. And it's how do you ask those questions to have a greater understanding, a bigger perspective of what's going on for that person to challenge that single story of what we think of them, mm -hmm. to learn about them. To better understand so we may think that somebody is really great at writing reports you know maybe one report was written really well and the manager thinks that they're great at writing reports when in fact that person is not great at writing reports yeah. you know and if they continue to write you get one great report and you make that assumption mm -hmm. and then they start writing bad reports then it's your great report writer why aren't you writing better reports and this person is thinking but i don't write reports you know yeah. that's not what i do until you get curious with them to challenge those assumptions, yeah. to understand a better perspective of what they bring to the table, it's, the concept is the same. Or fight or flight to the situation, right? So the manager now says, why are you not doing this report correctly? What's wrong with you? And they start really attacking the exactly. employee. So actually what's happening at the end of the day, the employee is not actually getting anything out of it. And the employee goes, you know, they feel they're feeling judged and they're feeling shamed and they're feeling blamed and that they're not good enough. Yeah. So, you know, if, if the manager can ask, so I felt that the first report that you submitted to me was awesome. It was a perfect report. And the last three reports that I've seen haven't been as great. Mm. So what's going on for you? Well, I've never written a report before. I don't, you know, I worked really hard on the first one and it took a long time because I really wanted to do a great job, but then I didn't have enough time. You kept asking me to write the reports and I didn't really know how to write a report and I didn't know what you wanted from me. Yeah. So they, I get why they're not as good. So, I, so then it's a different conversation, right? Then it's okay. So, you yeah. know, 
it sounds like you don't know how to report. This is what we need in a report. What you know? What can you do? What can't you do? What happened? But it changes the dynamic of a conversation versus you're not good enough. You yeah. can't write reports. You know. Well, exactly. Then it's creating a more of an open dialogue, isn't it? And it's also creating an environment where it's a lot more trusting. It's trusting you know what your team is capable of. You're able to build a stronger team. When people know, when people come to work and they know that they're being appreciated and they know that they're doing the jobs that they're capable of doing mm -hmm. and they know that their managers are engaged with them and understand what they're capable of. I mean, we all want to be appreciated and we all want to do great work. We want to bring our best. And you can't understand that until you have a different kind of conversation to understand what everybody's best is or what they're capable of. Because we all make assumptions. Yeah. We all have single stories. Yeah. We all think we know things about people that we don't. Yeah. And until we're curious with them and we ask those questions, we can never get to the bottom of it. But how do we break through that, that whole perspective then? Because, you know... When you meet first people for the first time, you automatically start creating these sort of judgments in your head, etc., etc. How do you go about changing that whole mindset? We just talked about this in the car. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> we all are judges. Yeah. You know that's our way, and and um, there is some some belief that that comes from um, survival. From the flight, flight, fight or flight, from, yeah. from, from caveman. I mean, who knows? Yeah. So, for whatever reason, we tend to be judges. So, it's getting out of that judging and getting to a place where we can show up differently, where we can be more open and curious. Yeah. So, in our book, we talk about five choices of listening. So, we can always choose how we listen to people. So, we can choose not to listen at all. Um, and our example of that is you're getting on a plane, you see the person you're going to be sitting beside and you think, I don't want to have a conversation, put it in the headset and you're choosing not to listen. Yeah. So the fourth choice is to be open and not judging. So we're just open to what they're saying and we're not judging every word, every um, facial expression, how they look, etc. We're just open to trying to understand how they're at, where they're at and how they are. Um, yeah. I'm providing you with feedback. And if you're not, if if you're, if I'm not providing in a respectful way, and you're not open to hearing it, you're gonna, all you're gonna hear is, I'm bad, I'm, I'm this, I'm that, all negative, which may not be the way the person intends it to be given. So by being more open and curious, just mm -hmm. person explained a few minutes ago in in that um, conversation between leader and and employee, by being more open and curious, it provides us with the opportunity to explore the perspectives and to better understand each other. Then that's where from that we can reflect, we can learn, we can change behaviors. The important part, like the feedback, what we've learned is when you look at how you choose to listen. Most people listen in what we refer to as choice two and three. So in choice two, it's a lot about, it's how you interpret your, you're listening through your own lens of what, you know, your interpretation. So if somebody is saying, saying to you, um, a very simple example that we use is a red dress. You know, I'd say to my mom, I want to wear a red dress to this interview. And she would say, I wouldn't wear a red dress. I'd yeah. wear a blue dress. I may not even say it. I'm just thinking Or that. thinking it. But how you respond yeah. will be interpreted. But, yeah, exactly. That. However you respond, whether it be your body language or verbally or whatever. Yeah. Through her, internal, her experience, her perspective, I wouldn't do that, blah, 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 blah. You know, then the third level is 
through, uh, it's again, it's a judger, it's through your experience, but you think you're fixing and solving, so that's where you comes in. So, you know, she'd be thinking, you shouldn't wear a red dress. You should really be wearing a pantsuit because yeah. that's, you know, you, you should, you would, whatever. Yeah. So in terms yeah. of feedback, you get a lot of, I think, I would, you should, you could, rather than what's best for you, or how are you feeling about it, or yeah. what can you bring to the table? And it changes the dynamic of a conversation. And when we're stuck in choice one, two, or three, you know, not listening in the eyes or the U's, we're not hearing what's going on for the other person. We're not, oh, we're not suspending our judgment, mm. and we're not just completely open to learning about the other person. We're still projecting our stuff onto them. Mm. And, and that's the crux, and we were talking about this in the car, how, how we message this or how we get that change. Because I think when you were saying what's changed in coaching, um, one of the big things is when we start focusing on another, it changes how we feel it provides a connection that we can't have when we're always in our own head and so when we um it's it's somehow getting us out of, on a very um intuitive or basic level getting us out of that judging mm. so it's all about us into a place where we're open to listening to others in in a way that's non-judging and we can do that even if we have to invest in the outcome so if we're having a feedback conversation with someone who is always late and they're the receptionist and they have to be there at 8 o'clock to start answering the phone, yeah. you, have, you can be invested in the goal. You know, of, We're having a conversation to get you here at 8 o'clock, but you can still be open about it. Yeah. So you're not judging them for not being there, just saying, hey, this is part of the job. There's a need for you to be here at 8 o'clock. How are you going to do this? Yeah. So it, yeah. it's, it's back on them. It's not... I'm going to fire you. If you're not, you, you should be here at eight o'clock, and I'm going to fire you if you're not. It's it's out of that my own headset, my own headspace, and control of the situation into giving that up and giving them the space to share their perspective with me. Yeah. Okay. But and how do you get managers who have a very fixed mindset who are saying to themselves, "I'm not going to change. Um, it's a, it's the employee's fault that they didn't complete these goals in time." How do you how do you go about changing someone who's got a very static mindset? Talk, or do you want me to go ahead? I mean, go ahead. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm throwing you off. I, I think it goes back to it's a good question. Um, yeah, it it's is an important question. And um, how do so? Are you saying this if I was coaching them now? Yeah. For example, you were at a Fortune 500 company, and they've been in this position for like I don't know, 50 years now, and they're just they're just not changing whatsoever. And they're saying the, the employees are wrong. They're firing left, right, and center. The employee turnover is super high. How do you go about changing that whole mindset? Um, I, I think that for me, it would be getting in and coaching them around and becoming me becoming curious around what's behind that. Mm -hmm. um, how how do they if, if switching the tables around, and I, and I have worked with some older physicians, for instance, who say, but I'm telling the residents what to do because I'm saving them from making the same mistakes I did. Okay, so let's go back to when, you know, if you were a resident now and someone was telling you what to do all the time, how would you feel? Well, well, that's different. <laughs> Why is it different? So you have to, you dig down and you explore and get them to the point of, oh yeah, well, I guess I wouldn't like it very much. Yeah. So what makes you think that these guys are going to like it? Well, they're going to like it because I'm saving them from making mistakes. How do you know they'll make the same mistakes and what do you learn from mistakes? 
So it's it's digging down it from a from a coaching perspective. Okay. It's digging down in that conversation and getting them to the point of recognizing that there is another perspective, there is another way of doing things. Yeah. <clears throat> Just yeah. me. And a new thirty five year old doctor may not want to do it the same way they did. And I mean look at all that's happened in fifty years, if that's what the time span is, in terms of of how how things are done in medicine. So it's it's shining a light on how how their behavior is being seen by somebody else or could be seen by somebody else mm. and how do they want to be seen so what do you do differently so that you can create that relationship that that learning opportunity that's going to work for this person and not message i know best you don't mm. because that's what that kind of telling no no you do it this way that's what what they're messaging so getting to the point of recognizing that and figuring out for them how what's going to work to do it differently okay that's interesting and i mean in today's world in today's um business environment is now moved over to a more flat hierarchy there's there has to be some sort of transparency there all the time right and and the these millennials always want to know what's going on because often, I mean, as you guys said in your blogs and whatnot, they always have access to information. And it's not going to be about, you know, the managers knowing more than what the, the employee is going to be knowing. How do you, how do you start in making that the whole environment more collaborative? Well, it's, you know, it's hard because it's just like you're saying. I think when you take a certain age group, their entire experience is top down. Yeah. That's all they know. Yeah. And they think yeah. that that is the way that you have to do it, right? Mm -hmm. And younger millennials are, they want collaboration. And, and this happens a lot. So leaders think, okay, I know how to do it and I'm going to do it right. It's all of their fault, just like you're saying. They're the ones that have to change. Yeah. Where the reality is, as these younger, and they're not even young, I mean, you don't even have to be younger, but people you know, that they're managing say, well, I'm taking my cues from you. So if you can do it, why can't I do it, yeah. right? And, and it's in order to have collaboration, you need to model collaboration. You need to learn collaboration. And because most of us have had hierarchical parents, from the moment that we were born, yeah. we're told to do, yeah. we're told how to do it, they're solving our problems, and then you have teams and you have teachers and whatever, and again, it's hierarchical. They tell us what to do, and then you get into a work environment, and they hire you, and they say, a lifetime of telling, and then you come out of you know university, and you get hired, and they say, okay, now we want you to solve this problem, yeah. and it's like, okay, just tell me how to do it. I, I you tell me what you you know, and they're saying, no, 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 I, I'm not going to tell you. You have to figure it out. Mm. And so until you've been, until you've learned how to collaborate, until you've been open to a collaborative situation, you can't have collaboration with telling. You can't have collaboration with hierarchy down. You have to be able to have a language. And that's what we've learned is that leaders are saying, I know this isn't working. I know the language I'm out of, you know, university and you get hired and they say, okay, now we want you to solve this problem. Yeah. And it's like, okay, just tell me. Well, it's, you know, it's hard because it's just like you're saying. I think when you take a certain age group, their entire experience is top down. Yeah. That's all they know. Yeah. And they think yeah. that that is the way that you have to do it, right? Should and we, so, yeah, we're we older leaders are still top down. Mm -hmm. And younger millennials are, they want collaboration. And, and this happens a lot. So leaders think, okay, I know how to do it and I'm going to do it right. It's all of their fault, just like you're saying. They're the ones that have to change. Yeah. Where the reality is, as these younger, and they're not even young, I mean, you don't even have to be younger, but people you know, that they're managing say, well, I'm taking my cues from you. 
So if you can do it, why can't I do it? Yeah. Right? And, and it's in order to have collaboration, you need to model collaboration. You need to learn collaboration. And because most of us have had hierarchical parents, from the moment that we were born, yeah. we're told what to do. Yeah. We're told how to do it. They're solving our problems. And then you have teams and you have teachers and whatever. And again, it's hierarchical. They tell us what to do. And then you get into a work environment and they hire you and they now say, we want you to solve this problem. Yeah. And it's like, okay, just tell me how to do it. I, you tell me what you, you know, and they're saying, no, 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 I, I'm not going to tell you, you have to figure it out. Mm. And so until you've been, until you've learned how to collaborate, until you've been open to a collaborative situation, you can't have collaboration with telling, you can't have collaboration with hierarchy down. You have to be able to have a language. And that's what we've learned is that leaders are saying, I know this isn't working. I know the language I have isn't learned as is, isn't working. So how do I talk to people so that they all want to be a part of a team but how do they do it without me? I don't want to change. They need to learn how to collaborate. And what we're saying is the only way that they can learn how to collaborate is if you're a part of that. Okay. It has to be, it has to be an all-in thing. You can't have one person telling top-down, expecting the others to collaborate and innovate. It has to be an all-in curiosity, you know, what works it's for you. It's a bit like a culture. It's absolutely changing the culture. Okay. I think the, the other thing is that when we were in the hierarchical up down of the industrial era it was older people knew more there was this whole thing about knowledge comes with That's wisdom right. comes yeah age. yeah yeah and now a 7 year old can knew, know more about any subject than all of us put together if they spend the time on the internet and they learn and understand it yeah so knowledge is no longer that hierarchical piece it's much more democratic anyone oh. and everyone can understand the same thing so as the yeah. go of that power to say, this is the outcome we need, you know, how, what is the best way to get to that outcome? Yeah. And it used to be that you didn't make mistakes. You know, someone told you what to do and you had to do it right. But now I think we need to shift to recognize that mistakes are really cool. Like that's how we learn. Mm. Exactly. And it's okay to make mistakes. Exactly. There's no, there's, uh, you must always try. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's learning one way or another exactly exactly um so you know there's always this disconnect then in a hierarchical structure with whatever the ceos and the executives and managers and then the, the rungs behind, below them and surely that's part of the life cycle of the business or not in this day and age um yeah yeah i think that so, I'm trying to figure out, so what you're saying is that the hierarchy is still there and that the even though it's becoming flatter. Yeah, the hierarchy is still going to be there regardless. Well, and I think, this, I've had a lot of discussions about this because I really agree everything's flattening. People say, yeah, but there's still a hierarchy. Mm. And, um, and, and there are times when people really want that hierarchy, I think, um, in any kind of emergent situation or a crisis. People want to know that someone's going to, take control of the situation and lead them through it. But I think in, in a lot of situations, it, there is still a hierarchy in structure to some extent, mm -hmm. but the work is done. People are, are and I think we're, we're going through the chaos of changing this because the CEO is still making a ton more money than the people who are doing the work, and, and money is part of the power of a hierarchy. And I think it's somehow we're shifting and I'm not sure where that's going to go. So I, I don't, I don't see it as finite right now. I see it kind of as a, um, 
amorphous. It, it's something that is morphing into something else. I'm just not sure what that's going to look like. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. Thank you very much. This is a great interview. Great. I love it. Cool. Good. Sounds great. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Perfect. Yeah.